the beginning and you kind of forget where we were at. So the title of the message today is True Worship. Man, we hear that word thrown around all the time in churches, outside of churches. There's worship bands and worship teams and all kinds of things. And I'm afraid that it's one of those words that over the time has just kind of lost its meaning. It's certainly lost its biblical meaning. And, uh, you know, again, I don't, I'm not splitting hairs. I'm not trying to be legalistic because there are different worship styles. And I'm not here today to say because this church does it this way and this church does it this way just because their style of music or their genre is different. That, that necessarily means that we're the only ones got it right. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I don't think the Bible gives us the liberty to say that. But I do think that the Bible describes to us what worship ought to look like. And I do believe that God dictates to us how we ought to worship Him. And so before we just go off on our own, I believe that we need to be biblical. I believe that we need to look into the Word of God and say, if we're going to worship you, if you are the one true God, and it matters how we approach you and how we worship you, then we need to take that serious. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this message today on true worship. Father, we thank you again for this time to be here. Just pray today that you would increase and I would decrease, and everything that we do here today would bring you glory. God, speak through your word, speak through your servant today, Lord, and we give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we talk about worship, I want to ask you, you don't have to shout it out, but what comes to your mind when you hear that word? Just what kind of images, what, what, where does your mind go? When you hear about that question, what is worship? Maybe you think about music. I'm sure that we can't say the word worship and not try to put music into that. And obviously that has a big place in the Bible to worship God through music. And again, we all have our different likes, dislikes, styles, and all that stuff. But music is certainly a way that we worship God. Maybe you think about church. I hope that your worship isn't just limited to church. But there is something special. There is something commanded about coming together at certain times of the week to gather as a body to worship God corporately. You can worship by yourself, but that doesn't mean you get to exclude worshiping together. It matters. If church didn't matter, God wouldn't have created it. He wouldn't have left it. He wouldn't have commanded us. He wouldn't have given us spiritual gifts and pastors. He wouldn't have given us the ordinance and all the other things that take part in the local church. So church is a place of worship. Maybe your mind goes different ways. Maybe you think of worship, you think of a guy out in the Amazon jungle somewhere in a little hut bowed down to this idol that he made and worshiping false gods in that kind of setting. That's, that's also a form of worship, isn't it? Maybe, maybe you worship if you've ever had the experience of going to something that's just so beautiful or so big, like the ocean or the Grand Canyon. Or even if you go outside, and I know Brother Jeff says this all the time, he'll go outside and just stare up at the sky and Look at what God has created. And, you know, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth is handiwork. We, we worship God when we just see the things that He has made. There is a worship that's taking place, hopefully as a believer. But I want to say this. I think all of those things, church, music, creation, they can, they can move our hearts to worship. But none of those things at the surface level underneath the surface, I should say, is real worship. They move us to worship. But what is, what is real worship? I found this definition by, uh, by an, old, an old theologian. He's long gone now. His name is William Temple. I want you to listen to what he says. I think this is really a good definition, some of the things that we find in worship. He says, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It's the quickening or the life-giving of conscience by His holiness. It's the nourishment of our mind with His truth. 
It's the purifying of our imagination by His beauty. It's the opening of our heart to His love and the surrender of our will to His purpose. And all of this is gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy to that which is self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. One of the biggest hindrances, guys, to worshiping God is us. We can blame other people and sometimes distractions and other things get in the way, but the biggest thing that gets in the way of our worship is us. It really is. When we look in the mirror, we see usually the biggest problem that we're going to face on any given day. You know, we don't like to admit that. It stings the pride a little bit, but it is the truth. And so I want to ask you this. If God is the object of our worship, which I hope as a believer you would say yes, that we are to worship Him and Him alone, and we want to submit and obey Him, then how do we worship Him rightly? I think it's important as a church and as believers that we do this right. That if we have a command and are shown a way to do it, that we should strive to do it that way. God doesn't want us to just be flippant in the way that we approach Him, in the way that we live for Him. So how do we worship? Well, I think if we went back to the Old Testament, and thank God we're not under that law anymore, but I think that if we serve a God that doesn't change, then we can see a little bit about His character and His nature throughout the Bible. And we can certainly see in the Old Testament that God cared about how people worshipped Him. God cared about how people approached Him. Now, obviously, we approach Jesus, uh, we approach God through Jesus Christ now, not through the sacrificing of animals, but there still needed to be the shedding of blood, didn't there? There still needed to be a sacrifice. None of us could approach God on our own terms. And that is true when we worship. But I want to go back to the Old Testament for just a minute. I want to read to you from the wildly popular book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 10. You guys read that, every, I'm sure, all the time, right? Leviticus, that's with all those laws and stuff that we usually, we do the, the Bible in a year and we get to Leviticus and we quit, right? That's usually where you, that's usually where you quit, is Leviticus. Don't quit there, keep going. But Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, says there, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and they put fire therein, and they put incense therein. So these are priests. They, their purpose, their duty is to conduct worship. They're the sons of Aaron, the high priest. They put incense therein and they offered strange fire. Some translations say that they used profane or unauthorized fire. They used that before the Lord, which He commanded them not to do. And fire came out from before the Lord and it consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is that the Lord has spake, saying, I will be sanctified, or I will be treated as holy in them that come near to me, and before all the people I will be glorified, and Aaron held his peace. He's a smart man. I sure, if, if my two sons were just struck dead because of the way they worshipped, I probably would have bit my tongue too. But they were guilty in approaching God in the wrong way with the wrong items of worship. Aren't you glad today that when, when we approach God in the wrong way, that He doesn't just strike us dead? I mean, we deserve that, but I'm glad He gives us grace. But that's no excuse, guys, to live in sin. That's no excuse to ignore His commands. If God is specific on something, we should be specific in obeying it. We shouldn't look for ways around it all the time. Oftentimes, we try to find that line and walk right on it. Get as close as we can without crossing the line. 
And that's a dangerous way to live because sooner or later you're going to step over that line. If you get close enough, you're going to cross it. Best thing to do is stay as far from it as you can. If you walk in godliness, you won't need to worry about living in an unholy life. And so these priests are given this duty. They're supposed to conduct worship. They do it wrong, and God strikes them dead. That, to me, says that how we worship matters. It's mattered to God for all time. Even if we went back all the way to the Garden of of Eden and we look at the two sacrifices, he didn't accept them both, did he? He had acceptance for Abel, but Cain's he rejected. God cares about how we approach him. God cares about how we worship. These priests had a duty, and they failed to do that duty the way God described them to do it. Now, how's that apply to us? You say, well, that's, that's thousands of years ago in another land, another culture, another time. What's that got to do with me? You may or may not know this. I hope you do. But the Bible describes us as believers now in the New Testament as a kingdom of priests. And in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Notice that. We are a royal priesthood. Think about the duties of the priest. Think about the responsibilities of the priest. And for the Levitical tribe and certain portions of the Levitical tribe, there were men that were set aside just to lead worship. So that is a part of our priestly duty. The way that we worship. In Revelation 1.6, it says that He made us a kingdom, priests, to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, this idea that we are now a kingdom of priests, that we have a solemn responsibility through Jesus Christ. We get to worship the One who saved us, the One who created us, the One who loves us and forgives us. May we never take that lightly. So, with that being said, I want to look at a few things today real quick. If we're going to offer worship to God, if we came in here today and we said we we came to church to worship God, then let's make sure that we really do that. Let's make sure that we're not just going through the motions. Let's make sure that we understand what that is and really strive to do that today. Because God's not pleased with just a routine. God's not just pleased with faking it till you make it. God wants it to be from here. And if you can't worship Him from here, then get right so that you can. So many people come in and they say, I just couldn't worship today. I got sin in my life. I got so much going on. My thoughts were distracted. And you leave right back out of here with the same stuff you brought in. If nothing else, if you came here today and you can't worship, you can get forgiven. You can get healed. You can get restored so that you can worship. But don't just put on the face and, and go through the motions and pretend, guys, when you can have the real thing. Amen. God wants you to approach Him. As His believers, He says, you can approach the throne of grace boldly. You can approach Him through Jesus Christ. But I want us to think about something that Jesus said to a Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John. Because He has this interaction with her, uh, a lady, which was one strike, and a Samaritan, which was another big strike. And so most of the time, the Jews would have obviously nothing to do with these folks. They'd go completely around Samaria uh, rather than just to pass through it and whatnot. So Jesus sits down, and this Samaritan woman comes in the middle of the day to draw water. And you might know the story, and I won't go into it all. 
But they begin to have a conversation about different things, and one of those things is, is worship. The conversation steers towards worship. And she asks, and, you know, where should we worship? Some say Jerusalem, some say Samaria. Where are we supposed to really worship? Where is the right place to do that? And in John 4, 24, Jesus gives this answer. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he gives two conditions there. We're to worship him in spirit, and we're to worship him in truth. Now here's where I'm afraid a lot of churches have went wrong today. They equate emotionalism, getting your emotions all fired up, with being spiritual. Listen, if, if you get the music playing, and you get people swaying back and forth, and you dim the lights, and you set the tone and set the mood, you can get people caught up in all kinds of emotions. And I'm not saying that the Spirit's never in that, but I'm saying that a lot of times it's your flesh getting excited. A lot, I mean, if you go to a football game and right before kickoff or right before tip-off or whatever kind of game it is, that music's blasting and the cheerleaders are cheering and the players are hitting each other in the head, you can feel the energy. You can feel it in that stadium. That's not the Holy Spirit, but that's just the energy of the flesh and the excitement getting built up. We don't need to do that in church because we've got the real thing. Listen, if the Spirit of God gets a hold in you, you want to run, shout, do cartwheels, I have no problem with it. I really don't. I'm not being funny. You worship God the way that He leads you to worship. But just make sure it's from Him. Just make sure it's because He is the one that's got your affection and not just the flesh got you stirred up in the moment. We worship Him in spirit and we worship Him in truth. Jesus Christ is the source of truth. His Word is the source of truth. We don't get to make this thing up as we go. Our, our, our opinions don't mean anything to God. We have His inerrant, infallible, unchanging Word as our authority. We don't get to tell God how we want to do it. He tells us how we need to do it, how we're commanded to do it. And if we do it His way, I promise, it'll bring Him glory, and you will see the power of the Spirit. You don't have to make it up. When God's Spirit moves, mighty things happen. Mighty things will happen. The problem is, so few people have ever really gotten in the Spirit, really, that they don't even know what that looks like if it was to happen. They don't even know what to look for. So they have to create some kind of Spirit. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Paul said this in Philippians 3.3. 3, he says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We worship by the Spirit of God. Don't put any confidence in your flesh. You can have a great service that's all full of emotions, but by the time you pull out of the parking lot, it's gone. But buddy, when God touches you, I don't know about you, but when I was lost, and I got a touch from God that first time, I ain't never been the same. I have never been the same. And it worries me when people claim to have came to Jesus Christ and been born again, and there's no difference in their life? Something's bad wrong there, folks. If you're telling me that you've met the resurrected, glorified Christ, and nothing's changed in your life, I'm not sure you met the same Jesus I did. I'm not saying that I got up that day, and once I knew Jesus, all my sins 
uh, at least in my flesh, were gone, and I never struggled with that again. They were washed away, certainly and forgiven by Calvary, but that doesn't mean practically that I still don't struggle with sin, and you do too. But it does mean there's a difference in the way that you think, in the way that you talk, in the way that you act. There had better be. Because Jesus cleanses us from the inside out. He makes us new creatures in Christ. And that's the good news. But so many people say, well, pastor said I'm supposed to be different, and I'm still struggling with this, and I don't want to admit I'm struggling with this, so I'll just come in and fake it. I'll just come in and pretend that everything's okay when I know I'm dying on the inside. And that's how the enemy keeps you in that bondage. You know you can die lost right in a church. There will be people that sat in pews all their lives that won't see eternity in heaven. And such a sad thing. That's like starving to death in the grocery store. You've got food all around you, but if you don't eat, you're going to starve. Jesus Christ is present and available to you, not just in here, but anytime you call upon Him. Anytime the Spirit of God is drawing you and convicting you, you can call upon the name of the Lord. If we confess our sins, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a sad thing that you'll sit in your guilt and your shame and your sin right in front of the presence of the one that can heal you of that and not take hold of that. You know why? Because the enemy has you convinced that somebody in this room is going to talk about you if you admit what you're struggling with. Somebody in this room is going to laugh at you. Somebody in this room is going to say something about you. If they do, shame on them. Shame on them. They need to be right up here with you if that's the case. But I can promise you, the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven amongst the angels over one sinner that repents. And if heaven's rejoicing, the church ought to be rejoicing too. If you're here today and you're all messed up, you're among friends. Because from the pastor on down, we're all a little bit messed up, right? But I'm glad that we know the one who can fix all those messes and can forgive all that sin and shows us grace and mercy when we fall short. Friends, that's why you're here today. It's not to try to live perfect because you can't. We strive for holiness. We ought to. But we fall short every day. Thank God that when we do, there's mercy for us. And worship understands that. That's part of the reason why we worship in spirit and truth. Because you'll worship someone that you're grateful for. You'll worship someone you're thankful for. And buddy, I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful for Jesus Christ. Because I did not deserve anything and got everything. He was good to me when I didn't care anything about Him. He was patient with me when I rejected Him so many times. And there's a line, no doubt. There's a line where if you keep rejecting Him and keep crossing that line and keep turning Him away, He's not obligated to keep dealing with you all your life. If He does it once, He did it as much as He needed to. But if you're here today and you know that there's things that you need to get right and He's drawing you to His presence, I wouldn't turn it away. I sure wouldn't turn it away. But only you can make that choice. I can't make it for you. Mom and dad can't make it for you. Grandma and grandpa can't do it for you. You got to do it. You got to confess your sin and you got to say, I need you, Lord. I want to worship you. I remember what it used to be like. I remember when I was on fire. I remember when I used to serve you. I remember when I got excited about church and somebody hurt me or I got off the path and got caught up in this sin. And now I just don't feel the same way that I used to. Listen, don't matter how you feel, God hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. You've got to fight through those feelings. You've got to fight through those lies that are telling you, I'm done with this, I won't ever do that again. Listen, you don't get to determine that. There's no retirement plan in the kingdom of God. 
If you're saved and you're called, he's got a work for you to do. Now, we get older and the body starts a bit slower and a little bit more tired. Doesn't mean that you don't matter. There is a place in the house of God for every single believer. And there is a purpose for every single believer. Don't believe those lies that say you're past your prime or you're too young to do something. We ought to be able to come together under the name of Jesus Christ. The only thing that gets in the way is our big egos. That's what gets in the way. It always does. But if we'll lay that aside, we can worship together. You'll look past the styles. You may say, well, that wasn't my song today, but I saw those kids with their hands raised up, and boy, that blessed me. Or you guys may say, well, I don't even know that old song. That's sung by somebody 400 years old, old almost old as George. And I don't, I don't know that song, and I ain't going to sing that song. But when you look around and you see those old saints with tears in their eyes because they remember those songs, and listen to me, the words of those songs are powerful. We need to remember those old hymns. We need to learn a lot the words of those songs. I'm not saying none of the new ones have any of that, but I am saying that many of those old hymns were written through blood, sweat, and tears of experience, that people walked through those dark valleys, and they saw God was faithful. And those old hymns are testimonies of worship to Him. They matter. We should never throw those aside. Ever. Ever, ever. Because, I want to say this too, worship, when we worship, there's something going on in our minds, obviously, as we think about God and we think about His Word, but it can't just sit up in here. It's got to also permeate into here. It's got to be from the heart. It affects the mind and it affects the heart too. There's an old French proverb that says, a good meal ought to begin with hunger. The reason why, have you ever just been starving to death? Just about anything tastes good, doesn't it? You can go to McDonald's and it tastes like a, like a steak if you're hungry enough, doesn't it? Good meal ought to begin with hunger. But if you're full, you can put the best, your favorite dish out in front of you and it's just not that appealing because you just don't have any room for it. Worship's kind of like that too. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you're hungering and thirsting after God and His Word, you'll come in here and you won't sit and critique every little thing that we do. You'll just be glad to be amongst God's people and in His presence. You won't, you, you won't be a judge on American Idol to judge our singing. You won't sit up there and say, well, Pastor did a pretty good mission, but I listened to, to David Jeremiah and his was better this morning. Listen, I'm just here to serve God. What he does with the message is up to him. And so when we're hungry, we're just glad to be here. We're glad to be in his presence to worship. But when we're full of ourselves, full of the world, full of all kinds of other garbage, it doesn't matter how good service was. You'll say, I didn't get nothing out of that. That wasn't nothing, nothing there for me. I didn't get anything out of that. It wasn't no good. Maybe it wasn't. But most likely you need to take a look inside first. Find out if, uh, have you been worshiping God the rest of the week? Have you spent any time with Him at all? So I say all that and I promise, I promise I'm not just now getting into the message. I'm going to move through this quick. But I want us to look into Ezekiel because that was our text today. And I want you to see something that was going on in Israel, in Jerusalem. And man, this really, 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 I feel like has an application to us today. So I'm going to just read these in sections, and then I just want to try to bring out a couple of things in each one. So look at what it says in Ezekiel 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. It says, In the sixth year and the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, so this is Ezekiel, with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there, then I looked and behold a form that had the appearance of a man below what appeared to be his waist was fire 
and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like a gleaming metal. It says, He put out the form of a hand, took me by the lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between heaven and earth and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway, to the inner court that faces the north. Listen to what he says. Where the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. So Ezekiel is sitting here one day. He gets caught up in the Spirit. And God allows him to see these visions. And he takes him, it says, to Jerusalem, to the inner court that faces the north gate. And what does Ezekiel see in this inner court? He describes it as the image of jealousy. Friends, our God is a jealous God. He will not take a back seat to anything or anyone. It's not a jealousy, a sinful jealousy like we describe, uh, the Bible describes us as having. This is a jealous God because He alone is worthy of glory. He alone is worthy of our love and our affections of our time. And anything that we put before God is an image of jealousy. It's an idol. It causes the one who ought to be the object of our affection to be angry because we have replaced him with something else, something far beneath him. Listen, I know that all of us get busy, and I know that all of us have lots of things going on. But before we continue to add things to our calendar and add things to our plate, let me just ask you an honest question. Does God already not get hardly any of your time? If you add another thing, what's going to happen? I can guarantee you what thing is going to receive less time. God. It's always that. It's always going to be that. It's always going to be Him that receives less and less time, less and less affection. Friends, before you make your calendars out, before you write your schedules out, set aside time for Him every day. Mark off Sundays and Wednesdays and set aside time for Him. I'm telling you, most of us aren't near as busy as we think. And I've said this before. If you get out your phone right now, if we could get everybody to get, I'm not asking you to do it, but if you got out your phone and you go to settings and somewhere on there there's a little thing that says screen time. And if you pull up that screen time for the week, I promise you that you got at least an hour or two. And your screen time will tell on you. All right? So maybe you do that this week and say, well, if I got 15 hours of screen time and I've, I haven't been to church in a month, I probably need to reevaluate my priorities a little bit. If I never have time to serve God, but I got time to scroll mindlessly on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and everything else, I can probably find a little bit of time for God. God needs to be the object of our worship. And Ezekiel saw that there was other things set up inside the temple gate. Let, let's go on real quick. Verses 5 through 7. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now towards the north. So I lifted up my eyes towards the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that are the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see greater abominations. 
And he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. So he says, you think what you see on the outside is bad? Let's get under the surface. Let's dig a little bit deeper into this thing. And you're going to find out why I'm really angry. Because when we look around in our lives, or we look around at just what's going on in a lot of churches, we only see the surface, guys. If we really knew how bad things were in our own hearts, if we really knew how bad things were in some churches, you'd run from those things. And if it's happening in you, you'd run to Christ. You'd say, man, there's a lot going on in my heart. Much more than I can see. It's going to come out on the surface. But usually it takes a little time to come out on the surface. And long before it comes out, a lot's going on in here. And Ezekiel's seeing this. He's seeing this taking place. And he leads, uh, God leads him to the, to the doorway, to the wall, and he sees this hole. Let's go on and see what happens here. It says in verse 8, Then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel and Jaazaniah and the son of Stephan. Standing among them, each had his censer in his hand and the smoke of the cloud of the incense went up. These men were leading worship. We see the smoke. We see the censers. But they're not worshiping God. They've got all kinds of images set up beneath the surface. I say that to say this, guys. Just because somebody stands in a pulpit, you hear me say this all the time, just because somebody writes a Christian book or sings a Christian song doesn't mean that they're teaching you the Word of God. You had better have some discernment. You had better know this Word and get this Word in your heart so that you're not so easily deceived. Because we're living in a day where there's so many false prophets and there's so many false churches and Christians are falling left and right for all kinds of garbage. And just because they say it's Christian, we gobble it up and swallow it down. The enemy doesn't care if you've got Christian books on your shelf or you attend a Christian church. If they're not teaching the Word of God, if they're not preaching about sin and righteousness and judgment along with love and grace and mercy... There's a problem. If all you ever hear about is heaven and never hear about hell, there's a problem. If everybody says that it's okay, just be you and stay in your sin and it doesn't matter how you live, you better run from that place. Because God is good and God is merciful and God is gracious and God is love. But He's also righteous. He's also holy. He also desires His people to live for Him. And when we get into these places... Where underneath the surface is all kinds of abomination going on. And all kinds of false teaching going on. And man becomes the center of worship rather than God. It's no longer a church. And it's no longer pleasing to Him. We have got to worship God on His terms. And that starts with us. Before we come in and critique the preacher, critique the music, critique the church, we need to discern ourselves in our own hearts. We need to examine ourselves. We need to make sure that we are right. And then we can approach our brother and sister after we remove the plank from our own eye so that we can see the speck in theirs. But so often, we just get swallowed up in all kinds of foolishness that we don't even know what worship is really like. Let's, let's close out with this, these last few verses. Start, look at verse 12 with me. 
says, Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us, and the Lord has forsaken us. And he said to me, You will see still greater abominations that they commit. And if, if we continued on, we would see that this just keeps going from bad to worse. But notice their attitude in all of this. They were doing these things, and deep down, these were, these were elders, these were priests perhaps. They knew the law. They knew the Word of God. They couldn't plead any ignorance here. Why were they doing that? They say, the Lord does not see us, and the Lord has forsaken us. He's not around. He's, he's not here. He doesn't see us, so it's okay. It's amazing what people will justify if they feel there's no accountability. Once you reject accountability, the number one thing I believe that the enemy wants us to believe before we were saved, doesn't matter how you live because there is no God. And if there is no God, then it doesn't really matter what you do because you're not going to have to answer to anybody. So indulge yourself. Live in that sin. Live it up. Live for the world. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Nothing to worry about. But once we understand that there is a God and we are accountable and that we are going to stand before Him one day in judgment and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that changes things. You may not receive that. You may not accept that. But you can't deny the fact that it's coming. You can't escape the coming day of judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this to judgment. All of us are going to die and all of us are going to stand before a righteous judge. The question is, has Jesus Christ cleansed you as we sung in the beginning? Are you washed in the blood? The only thing that can cleanse your soul, forgive your sin and make you right before Him? Are you going to stand before the God of the universe in all of His holiness and try to argue your way into heaven? Good luck. Good luck. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He is the one that pleads your case. He is the one that intercedes for you. His sacrifice makes you worthy. Nothing, the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. That's the only hope we have today, church. And so today as we think about worship, it's my prayer that when you get an opportunity to worship Him every day, every moment that you breathe is an opportunity to worship. That you never forget what He's done for you. That you never forget His mercy. You never forget how good He is to you. Even in the bad times, God is still good. It's not always easy to say that, or maybe you can say it, but you don't believe it. But it is true. God is good. He's the God of the valleys and the well of the God of the mountaintops. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David said, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's with us. These folks thought his eyes weren't watching. They thought he'd forsake him. God says, I will never leave or forsake you. He's always with us. There's so many reasons to worship him. And I say all that to say this. If you came in here today and your heart wasn't drawn towards him, ask yourself why. What is keeping you from truly worshiping him? If you're saved, you ought to be the most thankful people on earth. Man, we should never, ever get tired of thanking Him that He saved us from hell, that He's written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life, that we are His.
that He is a God that we can call upon at any time. He cares for us. He loves us. He's worthy of our worship. But if you're here today and church is just something that you do, maybe somebody invited you enough times that you finally got and said, I'll just go so they'll shut up and quit bothering me. Listen, I'm glad you're here. I don't care why you came. I'm glad you're here. But while you're here, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. Because He's the reason why we wanted you to be here today. And I want you to know that Jesus. Not just stories about Jesus. Not just what mom and dad tells you about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. And you can meet that Jesus by faith. Don't care what you've done. Don't care if you was drunk at the bar last night or laid up in some hotel with somebody last night. I really don't care. God knows your need. I've been there, done all that junk. I'm no one to judge you because he had to save me out of that same mess. But I'm telling you this, he'll do that for you. I don't care if you're a drunkard, a drug addict. Doesn't matter. There's no fine print that says these certain people can't come. Whosoever will, the Bible says, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There is no exclusion clause in any of that. The only thing that will keep you from Jesus is your own unbelief. That you love your sin more than you love Him. That you're more worried about what I think, what somebody out here thinks, than what He thinks. And that's a sad place to stay and you don't need to. So I'm going to invite Phyllis to come. I'm going to pray and we're going to give a hymn of invitation. I've done my part. God's doing His part. It's up to you how you respond. But the altar is open. The Lord is willing to forgive you. The Lord is willing to change you. The Lord is willing to use you. But you've got to answer the call. So let's pray and we'll stand and sing. Father, we thank you today that you give us an opportunity to worship.